Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. Hello, everybody. People in the back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Without further ado. Without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm ready. We're, we're gonna get started. Welcome to the Inner Loop Radio. I'm Courtney Sexton. And I'm Rachel Koontz. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and check out our website at theinnerlooplit.org. For any new listeners out there, here on The Inner Loop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, publishing or editing, how to make a living, or just how we all sit down each day in front of an empty page or screen. Or Sometimes <laughs> we play clips of local writers reading their work at our monthly reading series. Other times we invite those writers as well as other members of the literary community to join our discussion. On today's show, we're branching out beyond our sweet spot of the word off the page to talk about the word on the page. And But more specifically, how it gets there. Um, and in particular, we'd like to focus on homegrown small brat, small batch local presents. Our so, favorite. They are our favorite. I mean, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, but maybe we should enumerate some of them for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> All those obvious reasons. All those obvious reasons. <laughs> um, well, of course, Amazon has taken over the world. Um and in terms of publishing, we want And it's trying to take over the universe, not just the world. Right, that's right. Right? Beyond. <laughs> uh, so we want to keep Local Lit alive. And honestly, one of the things I love about small presses and small publications um, is that's where lots of people are able to get their start. You know, the big guns are up there in their fancy offices in New York and San Francisco and elsewhere um, and aren't always tuned and tapped into the creative buzz that's happening like at the ground level for a lot of authors I think absolutely yeah I think a lot gets lost in the sort of universalization of everything um there's so much brilliant work out there so many brilliant artists and um you know, it gets overwhelming, I think, to have access to people all over the world sometimes. Um, so I feel like it's really important to get back to our roots and tap into the local community. And there's something really special about reading local authors and knowing that they're just down the street from you and they're drinking the same coffee as you and walking the same streets and, you know, that you have that shared experience um, as well as the shared art. Yeah, and as the case may be for publishers, I think, um, especially with small and independent presses, it's more of that word of mouth kind of thing, right? Like, it's like, oh, um, maybe I I know this writer in my town, and I'm going to start with them, but then they know a writer in the next town over, or the next city, or the next state over, and you're able to expand that reach kind of organically um, Mm -hmm. without sifting through, I don't know noise I think 
That's the word that came to mind me as well. Like, how do you break through the noise? Because, you know, a lot of people who are getting attention are the same old people who always get all the attention, you right. know, um, established authors or celebrities or somebody who did something one time that people tend to care about what they have to say um, and not really based on the art or the craft. Um, and it's really hard to break through all of that on the national stage. So that's why it's so important to have these smaller sort of presses and environments where the talent is really what counts and the craft of it is what helps it rise to the top. Yeah. And I've seen even, you know, I don't have a ton of experience choosing a publisher, if that's the thing <laughs> that one does. <laughs> um, <laughs> personally, um, but hearsay says, um, no, but I've also seen, you know, even something as, as seemingly simple as a zine, right? Like a mm -hmm. collaborative kind of small, I've seen zines, uh, like stapled together or hand sewn together, little, little things that are the seeds of something that go on to become like, oh, uh, I don't know, the the latest poet laureate published in that zine 10 years ago, you know, it's it's those mm -hmm. things, those magic moments that, you know, because they are more passion projects, I think there's more passion that goes into, or maybe not more, but a different kind of passion that goes into selecting who's going to be published, right? Yeah, but and in addition to that, it's like a safe space where artists yeah. can experiment uh, which I feel like you can't do with the larger presses. You know, it's all about sellability and what people are used to seeing and being able to categorize it and market it and pick your audience and all of those wonderful things that we writers love hearing about after we've finished and crafted a work of art. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think that those small presses are so key for having a safe space to experiment with your art. and do something daring, do something bold, do something someone has never done before and can't be categorized so easily. Yeah. And they're willing to take that chance on you as the writer, for sure. Yeah. Um, something I was thinking about, Rach, is, is this, do you think the process of selecting manuscripts for small and independent presses is very much different from our process of selecting writers to read with us? Actually, <laughs> I, saw I, mean... this, I saw this question uh, in the scripts and I was like, it's way different. Is because, it? Yeah, well, I mean, I we mean, stakes did, are but... different, right? Like lower stakes for the reading series. <laughs> Clearly. Um, but no, I, I was thinking we recently did the District Fray writing contest, which right. was a written... Um, it was a written to be published contest. Um, and I approached those submissions way differently than I approached submissions for the reading series because the reading series to me is, is about, you know, potential and different voice and uplifting different voices and bringing voices from many different levels of experience together. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if a piece has any redeemable quality in it, not any, you know, but if it has, <laughs> I don't mean to say if it has just one thing I can say is good, about it. no, but if it has like that certain, that, you know, certain something, even if it's not crafted perfectly, like I would want to bring that writer in to the, to the reading so that they could hear it out loud and learn from the experience, but also, you know, 
everything we talk about, you know, is so important in the reading series. Um, and I feel like when I was judging the contest, I was much more harsh and I wanted, you know, something that had been edited many times sure. and, yeah. had, you know, really been like uh chiseled into its final product and a lot of a lot of thought put into like what does this look like as a whole rather than an excerpt or a piece or a blip or something I can you know share and discuss sure and then there's also I mean something else I was thinking about in terms of that difference is you know um the cost of putting together a something that's going to be printed is different from spoken words that series. can be free. <laughs> um, well, so, I feel like our yeah. next guest can certainly speak on that problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we obviously don't know what we're talking about, so let's <laughs> get a little bit more on how the sausage is made for small presses. Coming up, we're going to hear from Courtney LeBlanc, founder of Riot in Your Throat Press, who will give us the insights. Gather. Gather. <laughs> gather, please. Um, you can gather in. Gather round, gather round for the second half. And we're going to get started. We're going to get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. Not teasing you this time. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We've been discussing the value of small and independent presses, and we'd like to welcome Courtney LeBlanc to give us her take. Courtney is founder and editor of Riot in Press, a venture that serves primarily female poets. Courtney is also the author of Exquisite Bloody Beating Heart and our September Spotlight Writer in our Authors Corner campaign. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we're psyched to have you. Um, so, okay, before we get into the nitty gritty, first things first, how did you come up with the name for your press? <laughs> uh, so when I was thinking about starting a press, um, I, you know, because you kind of sometimes put the cart before the horse, I started thinking of names. <laughs> and I do I that wanted, with dogs. Like, okay, I, I actually have a list dog. on my phone. Yeah. I have a list on my name on my phone of potential dog names. Even though I have Great. two young, healthy dogs <laughs> for any future dogs, um, so it's kind of the same for presses. I wanted a name that reflected the kind of poetry I wanted to publish, the kind of poetry that I really love, and that I thought the world needs more of. And for me, that was something that sort of bubbles up from inside of you and you you almost can't stop it from coming out. You have to write the words, you have to speak the words, you have to get them out of you. And particularly with um, you know, some of the Me Too movement that's come about and women reclaiming their voices and really making themselves heard again, it wasn't just about speaking. It was about this riot that had to happen. And so that was sort of where mm. it came about. And I had other other names I was tossing around, but I kept coming back to it. And I just, I realized that it was clearly the one I wanted because I just loved it so much. And to me, it was so powerful that I had to go with it. 
Well, I think it, it is a, a fantastic yeah. name. <laughs> like, Excellent choice. It, it was one of those names that when you heard it, you're like, that's already a thing, isn't it? Right. <laughs> well, it. It sounds very official, very legit, very riotous. So yeah, good work. You've got the marketing thing down. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But okay, so let's backtrack. You touched on this a little bit. What, you know, you've been an active poet for a long time. You've published with other small presses. Um, But what inspired you to just go all in and start this thing. Why? What are you doing? <laughs> so it was it was twofold, really. One was the pandemic. Um, so my job at the time, pre-pandemic, I traveled 50% of the time. I was gone a lot. Um, and then the pandemic shut down the world and it shut down all my travel. Um, so I suddenly was home a lot, <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> and you know, so my my day and week and months were structured differently, and I found I had a little more free time because I wasn't traveling. And then the second driver that really became what drove what really pushed me to do it was there were all these voices out there that I wanted to see or I was interested in reading. And you know, like you said in the intro, independent presses are where a lot of um, writers get their start because. Would it be great to publish with the big five? Of course. How many of us get there? Not very many. And I've also found that a lot of the poetry books that I'm really drawn to are published by small independent presses because they are willing to take those risks. They are looking to find new voices. Um, And, you know, they just, they're publishing the kind of poetry that I really love. And I felt like it was something I could do. I knew where my strengths and weaknesses are. I have a business background as well as an MFA. So I wrote up a business plan. I um, created a budget, which you know had me losing money for the first couple of years, but that was fine. I'm fortunate enough to have a steady income that can support the press until it eventually starts making money. And I really just thought that this was something I could do and I could do well. And so I nod on it for like six weeks. I talked to several people who already work or had started their own independent presses and kind of picked their brains about how they did it, what they um, hired out versus what they did in-house to figure out what I could, you know, do in-house versus what I needed to pay someone else to do. And then I just took the plunge and went with it. And it's been so fantastic. So I'm 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 pleased with the decision to do it. Well, you're still smiling, so that is a good thing. <laughs> Something's going right. So <laughs> have you found weeks. that your writing is is bolstered or distracted by by this addition to your creative life? Um, I think it's I think it's both because I think it depends on the day or the week or the month. Um, when I'm really busy working on press stuff, when I'm you know like we're getting the proof together to review it and then get it back to the interior book design so we can get it all ready for, for printing. I'm probably not writing a whole lot and I'm not inspired a whole lot because I'm literally reading the same book of poems like 10 or 15 times in a row. And so it just kind of gets Mm. muddled in your head. But then also because I, you know, the authors that I do publish, I follow them online. And so I get to read the new stuff they're coming out with. And so that always for me feeds my own creativity. So it's a little of both depending on 
where I'm at in the cycle of each book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talk about that a lot with the inner loop. It's like, even when we're doing the production side of things, it's, it's inspiring. So I can see and I'm glad to hear that that has also been the case for you. I mean, this is so it's so quick that you pulled it together. It's really amazing and a testament to, you know, understanding your strengths, as you were saying. Um, What kind of, I mean, what kind of help do you have? What kind of help do you need? What kind of works are you publishing? How often? Tell me all the things. Yeah, I want to know where you're sourcing your writers. Yeah, so I did with the first, um, the first book, which is Green by Melissa Fight Johnson. That one was published in May of this year, and I really wanted. I knew I was going to do an open submission period, but I was really looking for one poet to already have on contract to be working to like have that for my public, um, the press and the marketing side of it. And I contacted a few poets to see if they had a manuscript I could review. And one of them was already working on a contract with another press. Another poet didn't yet have a full manuscript manuscript ready. And so I kind of hit a dead end and thought, okay, I'm just going to do the open reading series or open reading submission period and we'll see what comes of it. And then a writer friend of mine, Shuli Kaywood, called me and said, hey, I've read Melissa Fight Johnson's manuscript. I really think you would love it. I think you know, it it fits what you're looking for. I know what you like. I think you should give it a chance. And so she linked us up. I explained I was a new press and that, you know, I was interested in seeing her manuscript. She sent it to me that morning at like 10 a.m., I think, on a it was a work day. So like let's just say Thursday. I finish up work, I sit on the couch with it, I read it after work, and I finish it around 9 30 p.m. And I knew immediately, like, as I'm reading it, I realized, like, this is good. This is, I'm really loving this book. I really, I really want this. And, but then I was like, do I email her tonight? Like, I don't want to act like an over-anxious teenager. Like, how embarrassing. I'm supposed to be running a (laughs) and be professional. (laughs) But I thought from a poet standpoint, if, if I had a press or a literary journal respond to me the same day with excitement, that does nothing but feed your ego. Um, and so I sent totally. her an email that said, yeah. at the risk of sounding like an overeager teenager, I love it and <laughs> I want to publish it. And are you interested in being the first book with a new press? And I sent the email and then I went to bed because I was like, I can't wait up to see <laughs> if she's going to respond. <laughs> And the next morning when I checked my email, she'd actually responded like 10 minutes later with an enthusiastic yes. And we just went from there. So I got to announce the press with our first poet um, and have that working while I then did an open submission period for the month of January. And I got 88 manuscripts, which I thought was fantastic for a first time press. Wow. Um, Yeah. And of those. Yeah. Right. Like it's huge. Um, well, and of those, I ultimately, the then. I think so. I think so. And some were obviously not the right fit for me. It just wasn't what I was looking for. Um, but I ended up choosing two sure. more. And so this year, our first year in 21, we have four collections that are coming out. Um, and they're all by women this year, wow. um, which may not hold true in the future, but I tend to really gravitate towards women or women identifying poets simply because I identify with those poems and those issues a lot more. Um, But Mm. 
for a first year, it has been fantastic and a lot of work. I learned what I can do and what I can't do. Um, with the first mm -hmm. book, I spent hours working on interior layout and kept getting error messages when I went to like upload it to the printer and oh, finally yeah, I, I know realized, how that goes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> finally I realized that I don't have the knowledge on this specific software you use. And so that is something now that I pay someone to do and she yep. is excellent. Yeah. And, Smart. you know, she gets it done without all the frustrations I had and she's, she's been great. Mm -hmm. And so I learned that with the first one, I spent a lot of time I didn't need to spend on the formatting yeah. BS, <laughs> but lesson learned. Now I know I just send it to her and she does it for me. Mm -hmm. So it's you been also a... learned like what you need and what you want, right? And I don't yes. like, with that kind of thing. I'm not sure you can without first trying to do it yourself, right? Right. Right. Because if it were just as simple as formatting in Word, cool, I can do that. <laughs> but it's not, you know, Microsoft software. It's this special software that I don't want to learn. Mm -hmm. And and I'm fortunate because I have the budget that I can afford to pay someone to do it for me. So it it's a better use of my time and money to have her do it than sure. me fight and curse at the computer. So, so Courtney, since your latest collection, Exquisite Bloody Bleeding Heart was published through Right in Your Throat Press, can you talk about what it was like to publish your own collection? Uh, yeah, it was almost anticlimactic, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, when, when you're... When you're not publishing it through your own press, you don't see all the behind the scenes stuff. Like I didn't see the hands on putting it into a proof. You know, I got to review the proof, but that was when my publisher emailed me the document and I, you know, went through it. Whereas this time it was me going back and forth with the book designer and, you know, me going back and forth with the graphic designer on the cover. Um, mm. And, you know, and then. Which placing is gorgeous, the order. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. <laughs> so let me let me take a second to plug this artist. Her name is Victoria Olt, and her artwork is on both her, she's done both my covers, and I am obsessed with her work. It is so visceral and just in your face. Like I just I love her stuff. So I almost feel like I've started a theme and every book now has to have a piece of her artwork. But we'll totally. see. I mean, mm -hmm, totally. as long as she keeps with the with doing the same thing she's doing, I would be all about it because she's just a wonderful artist. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was interesting because, you know, you because people order through the press, I can see who's actually ordering it and who isn't, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I won't cool. shame anyone, um, you know, but like you see <laughs> you see all the nitty gritty stuff that you don't normally see. Um, and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to publish it through my press. Um, it was a finalist for the Panks big book award. Um, and then when I didn't get it, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do it through mine because by then I'd already secured the artwork. And I was like, I don't want to give up this artwork. And there's a chance that a different press wouldn't want to use it. And I'm obsessed with it. So, and I felt that it fits the theme <laughs> and the title so well that I, and I yeah. was like, I control everything Perfect. now. Yeah. I get, I get every, I get to say yes or no to anything. So <laughs> that's always nice. There we have it, folks. Start your own press so that you can control everything. Perfect um, for your uh, 
every type A person. <laughs> well, Courtney, we would love to hear a few poems from your book. Um, yeah. Could you read a few for us? I would love to. Um, awesome. Okay, this one's titled, We're Told to Smile. Because this is what women do. We smile through the insults, through the, well, I thought you wouldn't mind, through the paraphrasing of what we just said, because clearly it makes more sense coming from a deeper voice. We smile through the missed promotions and the limited funding. We smile through being called Mrs. when doctor is correct. We smile through getting called honey and sugar and baby. We smile through it was only a joke and don't take everything so seriously. We smile through judgments on our breasts, our hips, our legs, our asses. We smile through the accidental touches, the well-intentioned suggestions, the good-natured flirting. We smile through your leg pressing against ours on trains, on buses. We smile because we're making a big deal out of nothing. We smile because if we didn't, our teeth might get knocked out, our throats crushed. A reminder of all we have to smile about. Um, <laughs> I'll read this one. So uh, I grew up on a farm in North Dakota. I found myself very accidentally unusual. smiling at points. Oh, I'm sorry. There was there was a delay. I cut you off, Courtney. I was as I was listening to you though, I found no myself worries. like smiling and then being like, I shouldn't be smiling right now. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's I mean, it's honestly, it's it's a it's a natural we're we've been conditioned to do it and we don't realize that I shouldn't be smiling necessarily all the time, or I certainly don't have to. And yet you know, when we're uncomfortable mm -hmm. or being, you know, spoken down to, sometimes we smile out of nervousness or, you know, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of doing it too. But, you know, the whole poem is about that. Like we shouldn't mm -hmm. have to. Um, okay. So this poem, I grew up on a farm in North Dakota. That's all you really need to know. Um, it's titled Butcher. I told him <laughs> before our clothes fell to the floor. He insisted he didn't care. Later, after we showered, he tells me how he hates blood, how disgusting it is, how I've ruined his sheets. I tell him of the butchering season each year, my father slicing the cow's throat, its scream drowning in the warm blood that gushed over my father's hand as he held the head back. I tell him of the hide peeled back, the meat sliced from bone. I detail the organs I cut into chunks for the dog, the liver, the kidneys, thick with blood. I don't stop until the blood drains from his face and he retches, hand over mouth as he runs to the bathroom. When I leave, I don't look back. Hmm. That one you're allowed to smile at because it's kind of a an interesting one. Um... And then, should I read one more or two more? Yes? Okay. Two more. Okay. This is a <laughs> short one. It's titled Original Sin. When I was 17, my daily lunch was an apple and two rice cakes. Every day, I peeled the sticker from the apple's skin, stuck it to the inside of my locker door, 
insisted I'd had a big breakfast and didn't waver from this routine for an entire year. I never once thought about Eve or her apple or the original sin, how hunger and desire rumbled deep within her. I thought only of my own naked body, my own soft thighs, the gap between them widening. Mm. Um, wow. And then I will read one more. Um, it's a crowd favorite, so it's always a fun one to read because I think every poet has that poem that's kind of a fuck you to their ex. Um, and so this is that poem titled To My Ex <laughs> Who Asked If Every Poem Was About Him. I wish you happiness, but the kind that makes you think of me after your wife has fallen asleep. I wish you 2% raises and average performance evaluations. I wish you casseroles and Bud Light. <laughs> I wish you vacations to Disney World in July. I wish you khakis and plaid <laughs> button-ups. I wish you sex, but only missionary position and only with the lights out. I wish you <laughs> calendar reminders and capped teeth. I wish you individually wrapped low-fat cheese slices and turkey bacon, which insults two animals. I wish you mayonnaise and store-bought white bread. I wish you decaf coffee. I wish you sleeping in until 7 a.m. on Sundays. I wish you instant oatmeal microwave each morning for your heart health. I wish you a tie each Father's Day and a birthday card received a week late. I wish you a daughter who writes poetry filled with metaphors about a complicated family relationship. I wish you a football team that never makes the playoffs and a son who's an average soccer player. I wish you this poem <laughs> popping up first the next time you Google me. <laughs> oh, man. Courtney, I love that oh, one. I've heard you read it before, so and it's so good every time. Um, thank you for sharing. Who would wish Disney in July on someone? Oh, my God. That's brutal. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, thank you for the reading. Thank you for your insight on, on Ride in Your Throat. Um, for our listeners, you can find Courtney's Press online at rideinyourthroat.com, where you can also purchase her book, Exquisite Bloody Feeding Heart, and get more of those excellent poems. Um, it is also going to be available in store for purchase at Potter's House as part of our Author's Corner campaign. And you can read more from Courtney at the interlibbit.org slash authors corner. Did we miss anything? I don't think. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Up next, we hope you don't have anywhere pressing to be <laughs> because we'd love to have you stick around for some fun and games. <laughs> Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We turn now to Small Batch Murder. I'm just kidding. Um, Small Batch <laughs> Murder. So the name comes from a long time. Interloop 
inside joke, uh, but I'll spare you all that. <laughs> For those who know, they know. Anyway. Spare you all that. <laughs> Go back and listen to old episodes of the Inner Loop Radio. That's right. Um, <laughs> but I am going to pit you two against each other for some trivia about small row, row. presses, indie presses, <laughs> uh, and those who've made a big splash. So are you ready? I don't know. I feel like Courtney's going to whoop me on this. I don't know pressure or anything. <laughs> okay. This is a death match. Um, I have a list of small and independent presses in the area, local ones. Um, and you two have to go back and forth naming them. The first person to not come up with one or take too long loses the point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, okay. we have at least one we can start with. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, I only have two in my mind, Courtney. <laughs> Who starts? Who's starting? Who's going first? All right, Courtney, kick it off. Am I allowed to say my own to start? Is that yes, cheating? you yeah. are. Do it. I was gonna do it. You do it. Right in your throat. Yes. <laughs> Day eight. Mason jar press. Oh, good one. Lines and stars. Hey. Barrel house. Yes. Ah! Does politics and prose count? Because they 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 publish people's self-published stuff. Uh, <laughs> they do a a journal like every year ish, like a I, an issue. So we'll get we'll, we'll give it to you, Court. <laughs> okay, um, Alan Squire Publishing yeah. is here. Right, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I don't have anymore. Oh my god, because that was the last one. <laughs> All right, point to Courtney. Um, a few others, uh, notable ones, The Word Works, Washington Writers Publishing House. Oh, oh Washington Writers. I knew that one. <laughs> um, DC Poetry Collective, Shout Mouse Press, Thick Press, and Yellow Hour Publishing are among the list. So check Dang all those it. out. A lot more. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. One point to Courtney. All right. Which of these big, small presses has been around since the 1930s and can lay claim to publishing the likes of Jean-Paul Sartre, Pablo Neruda, and Anne Carson? And this is multiple choice. Okay. Oh, thank God. <laughs> A, New Directions. B, Grey Wolf Press. C, Tin House. Or D, McSweeney's. Grey Wolf. B. Very well. Whoa, you both might be. <laughs> it is New Directions. Oh, I never would have guessed that one. Uh-huh. Me neither. I know. That I was, was my last choice. I was surprised. <laughs> um, okay. Which one of these all time best selling authors faced multiple rejections before getting a career kickoff with a little known press? And these are all a similar category of writers. So Clive Cussler, Mary Higgins Clark, John Grisham, or Danielle Steele. Only because I have an inside joke with my best friend about Danielle Steele do I feel the need <laughs> to say Danielle Steele. <laughs> like Danielle, okay. I'm going to say John Grisham. Ding, ding, ding. It was John. Oh. <laughs> so in 1989, he was a then, you know, criminal attorney, uh, had just finished writing his first novel, A Time to Kill, and was rejected by dozens of publishers and agents. It finally found a home with Winwood Press, which was a little known publisher. Wow. Um, and it didn't achieve a lot of commercial success at the time, but set the stage for his next 
26 books and nine film, film adaptations. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. He's doing fine. He's doing so fine. you're saying with my small press, That's I could right. find the next John Grisham of poet. Baby. Yep. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that is what I'm saying. Um, okay. I will do one last one for you all. This is a tiebreaker. <clears throat> all right. Which indie press was founded right here in D.C. to give voice to Black lesbian authors? A. Two Leaf Press B. Redbone Press C. Third World Press or D. Urban Books Um, I'm gonna go... Wait, what was the second one? Redbone Press And the first was Two Leaves? Two Leaf Two Leaf I'm going to go with Two Leaf. All right. Although the urban one is my second choice. I'm going to go Redbone because I feel like that's a weird one. <laughs> You're right. It is Redbone Press, actually. <laughs> that's got to be like some inside lesbian <laughs> slang that I don't know. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. You know, all like I was like like a Redbone coonhound. Like I always am thinking about dogs, which I don't know. But no, um, Actually, all of those indie presses are well-known for publishing African-American writers. Uh, Redbone was established by Lisa Moore in 1997, and she published it here in D.C. to give much-needed voice to Black lesbian authors in feminist publishing. And over the years, it has expanded to include groundbreaking works from gay men as well, and done poetry, fiction, anthologies, and some... Non-fiction. Very cool. So very cool. It's a Lambda Literary Award winner. Nice. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, well, Courtney, thank you for being a good sport. Absolutely. Rachel's excited. She's like, I never win anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I technically won with the death match at the beginning. That's fair. Okay. I think so it's a tie. We'll call it a draw. <laughs> um, but anyway, this was really awesome to have you, Courtney. Thank you for our insight. That's our show. We are back every other Monday. Did you know that the Inner Loop has lots of programming for writers in the D.C. area? So much. We do readings, retreats, workshops, a summer residency, and more. To read all about it, visit us at theinnerlooplit.org, where you can also donate to support us and local literature. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Inner Loop Lit. Today's episode was produced by me, Courtney Sexton. Our theme music is by Andrew Logan, and our technical advisor is James Skinner. Thanks again to Courtney LeBlanc for joining us on the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, shout it from the rooftops. Or, better yet, leave us a review. Such as, I'm vaccinated and I listen to the Interloop Radio. Wow, <laughs> I'm really prepared for the next wave of the apocalypse. <laughs> That's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, you know. I approve. All right. <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Happy writing. Right on.